Love him. It's good to be in God's house, man. I tell you what, I'm with I'm with Jason. I'm ready to get back into uh, to a routine, to a groove, you know. And uh, part of that groove is being in God's house, worshiping with His people, and being right here with you. Ha- have you heard the true story about this woman who uh, very thoughtfully decided to do something nice for her elderly mother? Uh, so she bought her a new mattress for her bed. The, the old mattress, was, uh, it was old and it was worn out and it was as lumpy as it could be. And So she bought a replacement mattress and while the mother was at an appointment, uh, she had them bring in this new mattress. They took the old one to the city dump and got rid of it where it belonged and uh, put in this new mattress uh, with new mattress pad, new sheets, new uh, pillowcases, pillows and, and the whole nine yards. And it was right there for the mama when she got back home. Tragic mistake. Big mistake, an expensive mistake. As it turns out, the older woman had actually hidden her life savings in that mattress. Through the years, she had been pulling out the the foam and the stuffing and replacing it with $100 bills. In fact, you're going to find this hard to believe, she had almost a million dollars stuffed into that old mattress. And so the newspaper heard about it. The next day, there was a picture on the front page of this old woman at the city dump (laughs) rummaging through, looking for her mattress. And the point is this. Sometimes it's really easy for newer, younger generations of people to simply toss out something that is very valuable. And that brings me to this morning's topic Church attendance, huh? Because really it is. It's easy for us just to toss out church attendance and not think that much about it. But folks, it's important for us to be in God's house every single week. I've recently seen a rash of studies talking about church attendance and the projections of where church attendance is going 30 years from now in the year 2050. In fact, a study was conducted in England that predicted within one generation the number of people in the UK attending church will plunge some 90%. By 2050, according to this report, Anglican congregations in the UK will dwindle down to less than 10% of what they are today. So today, if there is a church in the UK that runs 500, the prediction is within the year 2050, that congregation is going to be down to 50 people. And if today there's a church in the UK that's running 50, in 30 years from now, in 2050, that church will only be running 50. You think, well, that's halfway around the world. Well, they did a study in the United States that found similar results. In fact, the Religious News Service ran this article not long ago that said, booming megachurches might grab the headlines, but the bigger story of American congregations is one of accelerating decline. Based on data collected from more than 200,000 churches of different denominations, the study projects that by the year of 2050, only 10% of Americans will be found attending church on any given Sunday. Now here's the problem. Churches are dwindling. Numbers are going down. Churches are dying. 
and the acceleration growth rate of the population is continuing to increase. So as more people live on planet Earth and in America, churches are declining. Thus, the vast gap. Southern Baptist did a study not long ago, and they have a publication out that predicts that Southern Baptist membership will fall nearly 50% by the year 2050. If the current trend continues, they project that membership amongst their churches will drop from 16.2 million people from what it is today down to 8.7 million people in 2050. Now, guys, I I can't say that all of this is going to happen, but I do know that it is true in America and in Western Europe, our society is becoming increasingly secularized at an alarming rate, while trends regarding church attendance continue to plummet. It looks like to me a lot of people have thrown out something that our forefathers and our parents treasured. And so today I'm going to preach a much-needed sermon talking about church attendance. My question is this, why go to church? Really, why should you go to church? Why should you spend one hour or two hours or three hours out of your week at Kavanaugh Church? Why should you take one day out of seven and make it a special day and come to God's house? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 kind of gives us the answer to that. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, the big day approaching. What is that big day? It is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10 is at the, is at the end of a paragraph in Hebrews chapter 10 that's, that's a pretty good little paragraph. In fact, if, if you'll let me, I'd like to read this paragraph to you, and then we're going to concentrate on the last verse, which is 25. But you need verse 25 within the context of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So beginning in verse 19 and working our way down through verse 25, let me read it. And what I want you to see are the two senses and the five let uses. Not let us like we eat, but let us like we do, all right? So two senses and five let uses. Are you ready? Oh, it'll make sense. Here we go. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, and I would add sisters to that, since we have, and there's the first sense, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, So that's the first sense. Since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place, that is the throne room of God, the entrance of this is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That old curtain had been torn down through the sacrifice Christ made on the cross. And since we have confidence that we can boldly enter into the throne room of God by the blood of Jesus, and here's the second sense, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And who is that great priest over the house of God? It's none other than Jesus. So since we have confidence that we can go into the throne of grace, and since we have a great high priest, let us, there's the first let us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the second let us. Let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Can I get an amen? That's Jesus. So let us hold unswaveringly to the hope that we profess. And here's the next one. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur your neighbor right now. Spur them. Okay, don't. Unto love and good deeds. And here's number four. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And here's number five. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see that great day approaching. So church, listen to me. Since we have access to the very throne of grace through the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great and faithful high priest who is making intercession for us, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some others are in the habit of doing. And let us encourage one another. And so much more as we see the day approaching. In other words, don't stop going to church. Don't stop attending church, but do whatever you can to encourage others regarding church attendance. Why? Because the closer we get to Christ's return, the more we need regular meetings with the family of God. As time gets tougher, and as the approach of Jesus grows nearer, you need to be in the house of God more often. You know, it's easy for us to find reasons not to attend church on a Sunday or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, isn't it? I mean, there are literally thousands of reasons to keep us from being here. Probably you faced a dozen of them before you came today. And if you can, you would give in to those temptations not to be in God's house. But you know what? None of those reasons really hold up to inspection. When you think of it, they really don't. The benefits far outweigh whatever it takes to get here. Now, I don't know. I don't really know how you feel about coming to church. I love it, man. I love, I love being... When I miss God's house and God's people not here, man, there's just some, something, something is just missing in my life. So I love being here. I guess I'm the only one. Don't you like coming to God's house? You know? But you know what? Just being real with you, I, know, I understand there are people who, who just have a... They have bad feelings about church. Bad things have happened in churches. They, you know, they got their feelings hurt or things hadn't gone their way or, you know, maybe they come and, and they get preached to and they don't like that. So they, yeah, some people just get tired of church. They don't show up. You ever been tired of church? You ever been tired of this church? I want you to watch this little video. Maybe you'll get a kick out of it. First service, nobody laughed. I hope you laugh. There it is. I'm tired of the church. Oh, my goodness. Play that again one more time, Sherry. I'm tired of the church. I'm tired of this church. And he just walks. I can only imagine at the back, at the back door, his grandmother was back there probably. She took him out, probably wore him out for being tired of this church. I, 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 there's a backstory to that, and I really don't know all the backstory. I know that he was supposed to give a speech or do something, and, and he hadn't done it right, and so he got in trouble right before he got up there. So he just goes, I'm tired of this church. <laughs> 
And I know a lot of people who probably feel that way. They're, they're, they're tired of church. I don't know that I've ever been tired of, of church. Sometimes I get tired of people <laughs> in church. Not, none of you. None of you. I'm talking about other places. But, you know, it's easy to find excuses not to attend church. And a lot of people give in to those. And, and many people are just not here today for, for whatever reason. Now, I'm, I'm not bragging. This is, these are just the facts. Except for times in my life when I've been too sick to leave the house, I have actually been in church from my very first Sunday of being on planet Earth. Uh, Whitney's here today with little Ella. Is she sleeping? She's not sleeping, all right? But she's back there listening to Poe, isn't she? Yeah, there you go. Way to go, Ella Jane. Uh, you know, now they have these rules. Kids aren't supposed to leave the house for like six weeks or eight weeks. Man, we, they didn't know that back when I was brand new. And so the first Sunday, mom and dad had me in church. And I've been in church every, every week for the past 57 plus years. Now, I did the math on that, okay? Uh, I, have, I have been in some kind of church service well over 10,000 times in my life. And as I prepared this message, I decided to ask myself, has it been worth it? Really, has it been worth it? What good has come from literally the hundreds and thousands of hours that I have invested in coming to God's house and going to church? And I would have to say, I'm going to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. No matter matter what you have to go through to get here, it's worth it. So let me share with you four reasons why I go to church and and maybe four reasons why you should make it a commitment in your own life for 2019 that you're going to be in church. Number one, I go to church because of the rhythm of life that God has established in all of our lives. Way back in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we have the remarkable story of the creation of the world. And on the seventh day, after God had created everything, on the seventh day, the Bible says that God rested from his work that he had done. Now, he didn't rest because he was tired, because he's Almighty God. And our God does not become tired or weary. No, he rested so that he might appreciate and enjoy what he had done in the previous six days and to transition to that next time, which would be the next week. And he was also establishing a pattern for you and for me. It's this. We are to work really hard for six days, and then on the seventh day, we are to make that a day of rest and a day of worship. In fact, when God gave us the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment is this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy." And then we get into the New Testament. And we know what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. He died for the remission of our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. 
And we call that Easter Sunday. It is the first day of the week. And instantly Christians begin observing Sunday as their Sabbath day. But the pattern was the same. One day in seven as a day of rest and a day of worship. In fact, God built this into the rhythm of the universe. And he's built it into a pattern for the pace and pulse of our bodies and our souls. God made you the way you are. And he made you to work six days. And on the seventh day, you are to spend that day resting and worshiping him. In fact, several universities have found that people who attend weekly worship services actually live longer than people who don't. The findings suggest that increased longevity among churchgoers could be linked to a number of factors, including an enhanced sense of purpose in life. So when you come to church every week, you realize you're not here by accident. God had a purpose for your life. And the most important thing you can do is figure out what that purpose is and then flesh it out. But along with that, they also have added a connection to a community of support. And I tell you what, I say this all the time. I would hate to have to do life without the support from my church family. And actually, people are living longer because they find that connection in the house of God. To take it another step, according to the University of Michigan's Early Years of Marriage Project, they track couples from 1986 all the way through the year 2008. And they found out that couples who attend church together are more likely to stay together than couples who didn't. One study even indicated that the divorce rate dropped some 20% in those couples who come to God's house every week and worship together. Furthermore, a study from the University of Tennessee says that children of church-going parents fare better socially, behaviorally, and emotionally than children of parents who never attend church. In fact, the study reported that the more often the parents attend church, the better it is for the kids. Duh. It's simply the way God made us. Huh? It's the rhythm of the universe. You work six days, on the seventh day, you rest and you come to God's house and worship Him. And that's why I attend church. It's built into the rhythm of my life. And I need this place. Number two, I go to church because of the pattern of worship that the Bible, the Scriptures, prescribe. There's a wonderful verse about going to church that's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. It's about Jesus. Listen to this. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual, or as was his custom, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures or the word of God. 
The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And so he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. And here's what he's read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. So here Jesus is in church, and he's reading from God's word, and he's teaching from the Bible. He returned to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This was his boyhood home. And he went to the synagogue, the church, on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He regularly did that. So Jesus was in the habit of going to church every week, every Sabbath day, every seventh day, one time a week, 52 times a year. It was his habit. He went to the synagogue. The word synagogue simply means the assembly. It it talks about the assembling together with one another. And three things happened in that dusty little synagogue that Jesus went to in Nazareth. In fact, three things happened in all the synagogues in the Holy Land of that time. They did three things. They praised God. They prayed together. And then someone preached the word of God. So they praised God in song. They sang songs together. They prayed together. And then they were instructed from the word of God. When Jesus formed the church, it was first made up entirely of Jewish people who had declared the Messiah as their Lord and Savior. So when they began meeting according To the only pattern that they knew on the Lord's Day, it was the same that they had grown up with. They praised, they prayed, and then someone preached the scripture. And in fact, it says in the book of Acts that they met together in the temple and house to house. Let me just throw this in there. That's big church and little church combined. Big church meeting in here together. Small church or little church, when we get together in in people's homes or in classrooms here at the church and we have Bible study together. It is the rhythm of life that God has established. And what did they do? They did the pattern of worship that the Bible had prescribed. They praised, they prayed, and they preached. And when we come together today, we do the same three things. We praise God through song. Or some of you do. We pray together and we pray for one another. At the end, we have an altar of prayer. And we do what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching the word of God. Same thing. Year after year, week after week, we praise, we pray, we preach. We praise, we pray, we preach. You may say, well, that gets old, that gets boring, that gets tiring. No, it doesn't. In fact, I I can look back on my own life now and I can vividly recall being at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, when I was probably four, five, six years old, every Sunday morning we had a Sunday school assembly time. All the, the kids that went to Sunday school would gather in the old fellowship hall of that church, and we would have an opening assembly before we went to our classrooms. And I can vividly remember one day we had a missionary in that assembly. 
He was standing up there with a guitar, playing a guitar. His wife and children were next to him, and they were singing songs to us in both Japanese and in the English language. And he stood right there and he told us little junior boys and girls the importance of mission work and how people on the other side of the world needed to hear the good news of Jesus just like we did or just like our neighbors did. And that was the very first time in my life that God got a hold of my heart and started teaching me the importance of missions work. And it happened at church. I can remember vividly being at CTS on Sunday nights. Anybody in here remember the old CTS? We did that in Free Will Baptist. CTS stood for Church Training Service. And at the Westside Church, we would have CTS, I don't know, probably at 5 o'clock, and then we'd start church on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, and Brother Zellers would preach till 9.30. Okay? But in CTS, we would learn scriptures. We would memorize the Bible. And our teachers would teach us practical lessons from God's word. We were trained in Christian service and how to be a witness for Jesus. And I can vividly remember my Aunt Pat Cates teaching my CTS class. And I can remember her teaching us the verse. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And she taught us the importance of being at church every single week. I can remember as a little boy sitting Sunday after Sunday, hearing the preaching of my boyhood pastors. And it was during those sermons that they preached week after week. Now, I cannot tell you the sermons they preached. I only remember a couple of things that was said. But the impression it made on me was huge. It was during those preaching hours that I first felt God calling me to be a preacher and a pastor. And you know what? All of this happened because those two people right there realized the importance of getting up every Sunday morning and taking their family to God's house and being a part of a family of faith. You know what? Can I tell you something? You need this. Your soul needs this. Your kids need this. And you might not think it's any big deal to, to miss every once in a while or show up every six weeks, but let me tell you, it is a big deal. It is the rhythm of life that God has established, and it is the pattern of worship that the Bible prescribes that one day out of seven, you're here. 52 weeks a year. Number three, I go to church because of the family of God that Christ has created. Jesus died and rose again so that we could be members of God's very own family. He told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again into a new family. And we become a part of God's family. Ephesians 1.5 says it like this. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this has given him great pleasure. And then Ephesians 2, 19 out of the Living Bible says, 
You are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong to God's household with every other Christian. So friend, listen to me. The moment you were spiritually born into God's family, you were given some pretty astounding gifts. What kind of gifts? You were given the family name. (laughs) You're a Christian. You were given family likeness, Christ-likeness. You're given family privileges, family access, and you are given the family inheritance, (laughs) which is heaven. How about an amen for that? Amen. Now, thinking about that, let me ask you this question. What would you think of a child or a family member who every evening came out of their room, went to the dinner table while everyone else was seated around the table, they filled up their plate without saying a word, and then they marched back into their bedroom, they shut the door, and they ate in the privacy of their own room while the rest of the family was at the table eating together, fellowshipping together, crying together, laughing together, and being a family. What would you think about that scenario? Would you think... Something ain't right there. Would you think that? Something is not right. Something is not right either with that person or something is not right in that family. But can you see the picture that I'm drawing for you? There's a whole lot of people who are Christians who think, you know what, it's okay for me to just worship God. I don't have to come to church to worship God. And you know what, technically you don't have to. You can worship God anywhere. But God says come to his house at least once a week. Okay? One day out of seven we rest and we worship. People say, you know what, I can can worship just as well. At home I can watch it on TV and thank God for live stream. Hey, live stream people, I'm glad you're watching. But you know what, as good as that is, you're not getting what's in here. And you need to be a part of what's happening in here. The Holy Spirit is here. The dynamic of God's family is here. There is no such thing as a solitary saint. Christianity is all about relationships. In fact, the phrase one another is found over 50 times in the New Testament. Jesus Christ died to bring us into relationship with God the Father and to create a corresponding family on earth. And when we come to Christ, we are a part of that family. And it's only natural for us to want to come together as the family of faith. It's only natural for us to bring our plate to the table and eat with the rest of the family. Weekly, on the calendar that God created at the beginning of this world. Number four, I go to church because of the work of God which I am called to do. One of the reasons I believe in the local church, a local church like Kavanaugh or a local church like Harvest Time or any church that's on any city block in Fort Smith is because it is the only institution that Jesus Christ established on planet earth. What did Jesus create? He created the church. 
Now, don't get mad at me, but listen to this. Jesus did not establish hospitals. Jesus did not establish civic clubs. Jesus did not establish mission organizations. He did not establish Bible colleges and seminaries. He did not establish orphanages and pregnancy centers. He did not establish parachurch organizations. He just established local churches like this one. And here's what he said about it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it is true that these other organizations are vital and, and they're needed. And it is true that most of these other organizations, including hospitals and mission agencies and Bible colleges and seminaries, were birthed out of the church. And they are supported even today by the church or a number of local churches working together. But the local church, like Kavanaugh Church, is ground zero for God's work on planet Earth. The church is God's agenda for this world. It's one person, like you, coming alongside another person and doing the work of God together. It's one church, like our church, working side by side with another church. And folks, that's the only plan God has for changing this world. But it's the only plan He needs. And I want you to know that your simple work in the church of Jesus Christ through the kingdom of God is more powerful than you will ever know. And there are no little jobs when it comes to serving God and doing what he's called you to do. There are no little jobs. And you are making a difference if you show up. Yeah. That's the first thing, just show up, just be here. You know what the work you do in We Worship with little kids? It's important. The work you do with, with Brother Nathan and our, and our teens, man, that's important. Do, just showing up and being in big church right here and put a smile on your face and sing praises to the Lord and shaking somebody's hand and giving them an encouraging word, that's important. You, you, you may never know the impact that you're having on other people. Very seldom do we ever find that out. Let me, let me just tell you a couple of stories. Uh, on Wednesday, we loaded the family up and went to Corning, Arkansas to be with Angie's mama after Christmas. So we spent Wednesday night there, Thursday, Thursday night, and on Friday we came back. And we're all tired, and it's, it's a long ways from Corning back to Fort Smith, and the car was full. All the kids were in there. Little baby Ella Jane was in there asleep, and Angie wasn't feeling good. She was kind of sick, and all the rest of everybody saying, we're hungry, we're hungry, and I didn't want to stop at a restaurant and spend a whole lot of time and thought about just stopping at a gas station and said, get some chips, but I'm, I'm more compassionate than that these days. So we came to Conway, and we pulled into Chick-fil-A. thought this will be fast. We can get some nuggets and get on the road again. So we, we go in, all of us except little baby Ella Jane. She's asleep in the vehicle, and Angie's not feeling good, so she volunteered to stay out there with Ella Jane, and she actually laid down in the, in the seat and, was, and fell asleep as well. But we walk in Chick-fil-A. That's important for the story that Angie's asleep in the vehicle. We walk into Chick-fil-A, 
And we're, we're, we're walking the line, we're looking at the menu up there, and behind me I hear somebody say, a woman say, is that Will Harmon? And it took just a second because I, I wasn't expecting that. And I turned around, and Jason, there's this big, big table right behind the, the, the aisle, the counter there, and maybe 15 people at this table. I didn't know. I mean, I'm looking. I didn't recognize anybody. Finally, I saw this one lady whose face was familiar. Gary, she was from Pine Bluff. She was in the church in Pine Bluff. And I got to looking around, and, and I recognized some of her kids. Now, I hadn't seen her kids since they were a little bitty, but they looked just like her, all right, and like her husband. And then down at the end of the table, I see this older lady that is her mother. And then some of her kids there, some of these kids, they had little kids there. So there are four generations of this family sitting at this table. And then a lot of other people I did, I'd never seen before. And here's what this lady said. She said, listen, everybody, everybody, this is Brother Will. He's the brother Will we always talk about. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad. I have no idea. But I I come around the counter and and I hug her. I I hug the kids. I hug her mama. And and she immediately starts talking and and reminiscing about stories. And it's been 25 years since I've been in that church. But she was reliving some things that happened like they were yesterday. All right? And then she says, where's Angie? I said, well... Angie's out in the vehicle with the little baby Ella Jane. She's, they all got up. And they go out there and they, they knock on the vehicle and Angie's asleep on the seat, but she opens the door and they grab her out of there and they start hugging her and talking to her and oohing and on over Ella Jane. And then they all come back into Chick-fil-A except for the grandmother. She turns around and goes back to the parking lot. Knocks on the vehicle again, and Angie opens the door, and she hugs Angie. And Angie said with tears in her eyes, she said, Miss Angie, I think about you every day. Guys, it's been 25 years since we've been at that church. But she said, I think about you every day, and the songs that you sang, especially that one song that in the garden, that you sang it at his funeral. Now, after all this was over with and and we were on the road again, Angie said, I had no idea. And she didn't. She didn't have any idea that she made that impact on that family and that that lady thinks about that song and thinks about Angie every day. But you know what? It all started because Angie showed up. And she used the gifts and the abilities that God had given her to minister to other people. And that is still making an impact on a family today. About 10 years ago, I was in my office and I got a phone call from a lady on the other end who said her name was Rachel. She gave me this last name that I'd never heard of. She said, I don't know if you remember me, but I was a little kid at the Oak Park Church in Pine Bluff when you were the pastor. And she started describing herself and finally it dawned on me who this little kid was. A little girl that lived with her grandparents. And I can remember the day that I went to their house and I told this grandmother that her husband had died and we wept together. And I can remember being seated on the couch and that little girl climbed up into my lap and she just sobbed and she wept and all I did was hold her. 
And I do remember every Sunday before church, I, I went through that long hallway, Gary, 200-foot hallway in the Family Life Center there at Oak Park Church, and I would go into every classroom of, of every, all the little kids, and they'd flock around me, and I'd give them high fives, and I'd hug them, and I'd say, it's good to see you today, and little Merritt twins, I'd punch around with them. And, I mean, it was, it was just a, it was a great time every Sunday morning. But I never forget, that little girl named Rachel, Every single Sunday, she would come and grab a hold of my leg and just latch onto me. And I'd hug her and love on her and tell her how much that she was appreciated and that I was glad she was in church. She called me 10 years ago and she said, I just had to call you and tell you. You may not remember me, but I want you to know the impact that you had on my life when I was a little girl. She said, I'm still serving the Lord today. I'm married. I have kids of my own. And I want to thank you. You know, I hung up that phone and I thought to myself, who would have thunk it? I had no idea. I couldn't even remember that little girl. But you know what? Here's the deal. I was just showing up every week. I was just doing what God had called me to do. And friend, that's what it takes. Just show up. Use the gifts that you've been given. Do the work that you've been called to. And I want to say to everyone in this room, listen to me. You need to be here. In 2019, you need to be in God's house every single week. And I'm just, I'm just being real honest. If you're, if you, I'm tired of this church. I'm, this church. I'm tired of this church. Well, let me tell you, if you're tired of this church, you need to find you a church that you can get plugged into because you need it in your life. And let me, maybe, maybe, and I'm, I'm, I've left my notes here, and I usually get in trouble when I leave my notes, but maybe if that's the way you are, there are some personal things you need to deal with and fix before you even go to a different church because maybe the problem is not church. Maybe the problem's you. So maybe you need to get your heart right with God and then make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to be here Every single week of 2019. I got a statement on the board. I'm almost finished, but I believe this. This is what I need. Will Harmon. Will Harmon. I need a weekly counter-cultural experience to counter the culture that I live in. Because the world that I live in is trying to suck me into their philosophy and their way of living. My mind completely gets bombarded 24 hours a day with the stuff of this world. And I need a weekly time to counter what the devil is trying to do in my life. And I get that when I come to Kavanaugh Church. I realize that when I come here each week, I am participating in an ancient practice that goes back to the origin of the church in the New Testament. No, let me say this. It goes back way further than that. It goes back to the very act of creation. And it includes people of every generation and age. And I'm involved in a habit which the Bible says is increasingly vital as time draws to a close. Regular church attendance honors the rhythm of life that God has established. The worship scripture has ordained. The family that Christ has formed and the mission for which we were placed on planet earth to do. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest that is over the house of God, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and so much more as we see that day approaching.